Welcome to TA1, everything you want to know about adventure racing and then some. I'm your host, legendary Randy Erickson, flying solo, got birds in the other room and who knows where the chili dog is. So um, I don't know if I'm just finally getting better at this or finding better people or just really interesting, but <clears throat> once again, I think this one's pretty good. Um <clears throat> Even though most of it isn't about adventure racing, but I think you're going to enjoy it anyway. So, um, yeah, let's uh, let's do this thing. Um, I guess the only other thing I got to talk about is I still have a few people get contacting me, still looking for teams for Eco Challenge. So, um, if you're looking, I definitely know. Got a couple people looking for teams. I uh, got a team looking for a uh, badass female racer, and um, I don't know. I think there's a couple more. So I know there's some people talking. Anyway, if you're looking, interested, hit me up. I'll hook you up with anybody that might uh, want your story asked to be on their team. Um, and more power to you for going for it. So anyway, um, let's do this. Let's get into the... Uh, wonderful world of law enforcement so go fast take chances peace out and let's be careful out there thanks for listening bye hello dude it's me hey what's up randy <laughs> podcast uh, i thought i told you yep so <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so how are you i'm doing great thanks for calling tonight what's going on yeah, good. You know, sometimes I think I just do this for me because, like, we get a chance to catch up. <laughs> and, t- and tens of people get to listen in. Awesome, awesome. <laughs> so, what do you want to talk about tonight? I Well, we're going we're gonna to get to AR, but I really want to talk about you, you being coming a cop. <laughs> I, I, I find it. Very interesting. Yeah, it's, um, it's uh, especially turning fifty, right? I think I'm probably yeah. the oldest rookie in the country. That, that guy on the TV show, yeah, she didn't have anything on me. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, uh, you know, I mean, if you want to know about the story, it's it, you know fairly simple. <clears throat> Back when I was in yeah. high school, I, uh, you know, I always had dreams of doing law enforcement to some degree, and even and or the military when I had graduated college. But, you know, life took a turn and, you know, eventually got married and had a family and you know, it was never the right time. And it wasn't until about, I'd say, five years ago, my wife, at about 45 years of age, went back and got her master's in nursing, became a nurse practitioner. And um, she came to me at that point and said, hey, you know, if you don't think you're too old, I know you're physically fit and you can still go chase your dream. And I said, hey, why not, you know? run a business for the past 20 years and give it a shot and so I went out there and you know, it's a long studious process it just kind of goes and goes it's very hard I had no idea how much time it takes to become an officer and what I ended up doing was looking at the application process as <clears throat> I decided to go it since we were financially secure we you know been good stewards with our money I went to the police academy as an independent which kind of gave me the unique position to approach police departments on my own prerogative not having to take the first thing that came along and so i ended up going to the police academy and uh you know it just turned 50 right when i graduated and i graduated at the top of my class or right about the top you know i think i was the most physically fit uh, you know um i had uh you know just excelled at, at that portion of it and so when i graduated um you know i got turned down by a few departments but i also turned down multiple departments and and was really diligent about where I was looking and, and ended up going with an agency close to where I live. And, and uh, you know, just in the short time that I've been an officer, I, you know, I've, gosh, made multiple arrests, you know, lots of drugs, you know, various assaults, various reports, you know, I mean, you name it. And so it's it's pretty taxing mentally as well as physically in the, in the days, you know, although the shifts are 12 hours long. They turn in more into like a 16, 17-hour day. So it's, you know, gosh, I mean, AR racing definitely prepped me for the lack of sleep and 
you know, pursuing that, that dream I have of serving my wife, like I said, was all on board for me to go after this, this dream of mine. The kids are fully supportive and, you know, it's, it has nothing to do with the money because, you know, in law enforcement, it doesn't pay a huge thing. It's just something about mm -hmm. where the service of my heart was and just wanting to give back at this stage of my life. life. And I'm, and as I tell people, I mean, you're never too late to change your trajectory in life and pursue dreams or goals and, you know, and hopefully you can overcome those obstacles that come across. So, you know, here I am at age 50. I'm the rookie. And um, I hope I don't do anything stupid. <laughs> <laughs> what um, what was the general – what did people say when you – what did they say when you went in and said, I'd like an application to become a cop? Well, you know, I mean, two things. One, if you look at it this way, my classmates always teased me and called, called me Grandpa throughout class, but Grandpa spanked yeah. them in every facet from driving to um, PT to testing, you know. Uh, so they say it to me with respect um, because these kids are well over half my age, either coming out of the military yeah. or, you know, making some changes in their, their career field as well. And um, But as far as... Um, you know, what was the second part of your question? I just, <laughs> I just, senior moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Really. No, I mean, what did, what do people think when, Oh, like you know, the agencies? What, what, what did they yeah. think? Okay. Well, they actually liked the idea because I was physically fit and that, you know, my background, they thought I had a huge amount to bring to the table because of my life experiences, um, with all the things I've gone through in 50 years, you know, uh, with wife and kids and multiple, you know, running a business and just various things that have happened to most of us in life. I'm able to approach situations and circumstances a lot differently because I have the ability to talk and diffuse situations just because of my life experiences. I'm not a liability to a department. They know with me, they look at my pay on paper. I mean, I'm like pretty darn good for 50 years and, and I'm not just a roll of the dice, someone who's 22 or 23, not knowing if they're just some hothead out trying to make a name for themselves. And so from that respect, these departments, I thought, quite frankly, the age would be a hindrance. But uh, on the other side, it was actually a huge benefit. So um, they, they loved it. So Cool. I mean, I can, I can see that. I mean, who wants to give a 20-year-old a gun? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. you figure with your tote and your, your Kevlar vest, and you've got, what, about 15-pound belt and you know, all your ammo and stuff and all your tools. I mean, we're nothing more than just a Batman, right? So the way yeah. policing has gone in the nation, I mean, it's people have taken such a ne negative look, unfortunately, towards law enforcement officers. I mean, there's bad apples in any bunch, in any profession. Yeah. And, you know, for me, it's, it's just about trying to restore and keep the name as positive as possible and, and if you're going to win in this type of environment and you're going to win in this type of profession it's coming from your mouth you know it's not coming from what you can do with your tools or or you know just assert your authority and just be you know um lording over people i mean the ability to grant people mercy when able to with the legal you know uh jurisdictions that we're confined by i mean if you're able to do that that's great um you know but it's just talking through things and and and, um, you know, I just, I find that quite an interesting challenge in my life. I, I think I'd rather, you know, I enjoy it. So, you know, I don't, I don't take offense to the name calling or the brow beating and stuff like that. I've done enough in the way of sports that it's just more of a challenge for me. It's, I look at it as a, <laughs> well, yeah, okay, you paid me, so what? So let's, let's figure out what we're going to do. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. I just, I smile yeah. and can usually diffuse many situations that way. Just by talking to people with respect and common cool and collect, even if they are, you know, not the best people in the, in the society. Yeah. Um, all right. So I got like a thousand questions. Um, <laughs> <laughs> have okay. So you. So how long have you actually been on the job? Oh man, this is like uh, not very long, about seven weeks. Okay. Wow. Have you? been in a situation yet where you 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 like consciously had to tell yourself to mellow out like the adrenaline gets pumping no no i mean you know not yet i'm 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 you know i drew my gun once already and that was the first week but it wasn't on soon because we had a break on break in and um you know it was 
we just didn't know. And so actually that was probably the calmest point in my job. I'm very familiar and comfortable with firearms and my training over the past 10 years, long before I got into law enforcement. So surprisingly, it, the drilling wasn't pumping. I was actually rather cool, calm, and collect. And even when I've already gotten in one foot pursuit, so to speak, and, and apprehended somebody, it's, you know, it's surprisingly, it's the calm part. The part that really stresses me out is the paperwork. <laughs> yeah. You know, you make it. Okay, a, I get that. Yeah, so I make an arrest, right? And then as soon as I make the mm-hmm. arrest, I'm like, okay, that's two hours of paperwork. And then when I'm searching the person, I'm like, oh, please don't let me find too many drugs because then I've got to categorize all these things and I've got to write a probable cause affidavit for the prosecuting attorney and then I gotta go to jail and it's just like, oh, there's overtime and so I'm just like, Come on, man, dude, just be just have a little marijuana on you. We'll we'll be good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but anyway, no, I mean it's just that part doesn't stress me out surprisingly, you know. Yeah. Well, I mean I think that's a maturity factor. If, if an adventure racer can be mature. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just life experiences. I don't sweat the small things you know, the big things. Yeah. I just try to break them down into small things and, and just try not to get overwhelmed with it, you know. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I mean, I haven't been experiencing too many things yet, but I've experienced enough to go, wow, and I don't think I'll ever know everything. And I think yeah. that's just being humble because, you know, these people that are training here, you know, 20 years younger than me, and I look at them with respect, and you know, and I hope everybody trains me properly because you know I don't want to make any mistakes because in this field, you know, mistakes are costly. So, um, yeah, I just you know I just I'm enjoying it. It's kind of crazy to think about at my age, but you know, as long as God keeps me moving, you know, I'll keep heading in this direction. So, and that's why I didn't do any air races towards the last half. Well, the season I had to cancel my trip to Iceland with you because, unfortunately, the police academy kind of got in the way with that. So, yeah, <laughs> that was its own adventure race in and of itself. I bet it was. So, um, two part here. What's it's the same question, but two parts. What's the biggest misconception you had about the academy and now the job? Uh I'm not so sure I had a misconception. I mean, when I looked at the police academy, I knew it was going to be very paramilitary. And so mm-hmm. I didn't really – I don't think I struggled as many as, as the younger kids did because I knew mm-hmm. a lot of the tactics. I knew a lot of the baloney, so to speak, that was going on. And, mm-hmm. and quite frankly, the older – I mean, because I was older than some of the instructors, they actually treated me with more respect than some of the younger kids. And so I got a little bit of yeah. favoritism just because – I wasn't, you know, I'll be honest with you. There's some people in there that are immature going, oh, my gosh, they're going to have a gun. Are you kidding me? <laughs> so, so but, yeah. you know, it, it, but then there's some amazing people in there as well, too. And I learned a lot from some of those people as well. So um, good people in, in all, you know, and, and uh, but as far as, you yeah. know, the academy, no, as far as what, the department, is that what you're saying on the second yeah. part? Um, yeah. Misconceptions? Um, no, not really. I mean, it's just it's you know it's kind of what I thought it would be, and um, I think a lot of that's just age. You know, I, um, you know, it's just I think I'll be honest with you. At this age, learning things was a little bit more difficult, so I had to spend probably twice as much in time studying, preparing than most people. Um, but you know, it's hard work in anything that pays off, and yeah. so that's why I ended up where I'm at now. So, yeah. Um, okay, so I've n- I've never been able to ask this question in <laughs> 220. So um, <laughs> I can't imagine what it's going to be. Go ahead. <laughs> so, what movie is most like real life? <laughs> like police life? I don't watch. Yeah. I don't watch any cop shows. <laughs> oh come on! You've seen you've seen a few movies. Okay, so I'm pretty sure it's not Police Academy Five. No, it's not Police Academy Five. You know, for you, you younger viewers, you will not have no idea what the answer I'll give now. But Randy, you're old enough; you'll know T.J. Hooker, right? Yeah, yeah. So there you go. That's so, really, honestly, one of the very few police shows I've ever watched. Um. No. <laughs> no. So, so, well, so you, it's kind of a being the cop is kind of um, routine. Until it's not. 
Yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so, so well, if you say T.J. Hooker, that's kind of what I think of. You know, it's it's it's. Uh, I mean, it's a job, right? Yeah, I mean, it's a job. It's a paycheck, you know. But again, it's just I want to try to make a difference. You know, at this stage of my life, too. It's yeah. Like, you know, I look at it as about legacy. I want to leave something behind for the family, and, and knowing that I wasn't too late to pursue something that I really had a desire and passion to pursue. And yeah. you know, when I when I get the opportunity to speak at schools on occasion, especially the middle school kids. Um, it's something mm-hmm. I can add to my testimony now to inspire them to to improve and do big things in life and, you know, and show them that my obstacles, you know, can be overcome and so can theirs. And it's just a yeah. tool I use, you know, in everyday life and especially in that environment. So, yeah, it's something I just enjoy. I enjoy being in the public. I enjoy talking to people. You know, I, I – most people I've come into contact, despite their situation, and a lot of them are bad situations. Um, you know, a friendly smile and respect goes a long ways, and, and I enjoy that. Oh, that's cool. Um, so, my, I'm guessing you like being, I quote unquote, a street cop, or do you have, you know, is this something like you know you move up in the police department you. You go there, you do your job, you're good at it, they want you to do more, or, or do you just want to be a street cop? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I, you know, when I went through all these interviews and these board, board boards that they put you through and they ask you all the questions, I'm not trying to be chief. I've been chief. I've done my own business for, you know, 20 years. I'm, that's not my motivation behind it. I just want to serve. Yeah. And so for me, if I had, like, a little niche to pick out where if I could pick a dream job within the department um, – I would love to be an SRO officer. That's where they put you into a school with a high school, preferentially, or a middle school, because then I get to talk to kids on a routine basis and teach them the ins and outs and try to teach them to be, you know, clean living and respect and all that stuff. And, you know, that's the kind of stuff I really, really enjoy is to impact youthful minds. But at this point right now in my life, I'm, you know, I'm not sure I'll actually get to that position. But, you know, working where I do, it's yeah. just as rewarding and fulfilling. So, yeah, no, I'm not looking to be some kind of crime scene investigator or a detective, yeah. you know. Um, no, I just want to be out there. No, I'm good with that. Yeah. That would be – that would be that was my guess, that that's what you'd want to be. Um, but and along those lines, do you um, – if you were doing that, do you think high school is soon enough or do you think you need to get to kids in middle school? Well, I mean, I look at to really make a difference. Yeah, you know, I look at it two ways. I mean, you could do elementary school, but you're just basically. I mean, they look at you and they still like you. And then you get into middle school, yeah. they sort of still think you're cool. But then high school, they're like, man, just stay away from us. Honestly, I think the best yeah. challenge to me would be in high school, because I think that's where the kids need the most. Uh, is it too late for someone in high school? Well, they're starting to get set in their ways, but I don't think it's too late for them. You know, the best. Mm-hmm. I think the best of both worlds would be middle school. You get some people who are starting to experiment and go, go, you know, awry. And if you can have some good programs put into place with the school's educational programs and really work on these kids, I think that's probably where you're going to make your biggest impact. Um, mm, you know, cool. unfortunately, I mean, the way the high schools are today, I mean, they're nothing like what I was in. And, um, yeah. you know, it's just for my kids that go to school, I mean, it's, ugh, it's just nerve-wracking. <laughs> yeah, I I feel your pain. Um, okay, we're we're gonna we're gonna get, we're getting there. But um, yep, yep. Here's something. Here's something I always wanted to know. Do you have to buy all that crap that you have to carry all day? <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh man, I got so many fun toys. I got my own taser now. <laughs> I've got my own body armor. <laughs> I got some cool gadgets. Oh man, I love being Batman. It's awesome. You know. I don't even have to buy my own rifles or shotguns. It's all there for me, so it's it's pretty cool. Get all the top lot, you know, all the top notch gear and all the ammo. You get to go to the range all the time and shoot, and get to do scenarios and you know all the stuff I see on TV. I'm like, man, that'd be really fun. That'd be really cool. And now I'm doing it, man. It's crazy. So, <laughs> yeah. so yeah, it's it's it's, it's well, yeah. I don't have to pay for it. Cool. Well, it's like having a sponsor. Yeah, a really cool sponsor, you know. But I do have my own insurance, though, just in case something happens. You know, I still want to protect myself. So being a law enforcement, most people buy their own insurance in case, uh, God forbid. Like they, a, well, God forbid something yeah, does happen. You have a shooting or something like that. And even though it may be justifiable, 
you know, you always want to protect yourself from a legal standpoint. So, um, but yeah, it's minimal. It doesn't cost that much. Huh. That's interesting. Yeah, like a liability policy, right? Exactly. It's just a, it's a company that provides legal support for you right away, and um, it's covered 100%. I mean, because, you know, nowadays you're, you're yeah. guilty and when someone, you know, they bring an officer before a grand jury, you've got people on a grand jury or the people who weren't smart enough to get out of jury duty, and now they're deciding the faith <laughs> on you whether or not you should go to yeah. jail for doing your job properly, right? So that's exactly. why yeah. you know how much – Legal fees cost, so um, yeah, that's the only reason I carry that. Um, but yeah, yeah, so side note. Interesting. Well, we learned something today, kids. So, um, <laughs> so do you do you wear a body body camera? Yep, we have a body camera. Vehicles usually have between four and five cameras on them as well, which I did not know. It depends on which department you work for. But yeah, I love the idea of a body camera because it just keeps yeah. me in the clean. Meaning, if someone ever questions yeah. my integrity or if you got somebody who lies, play the camera. Doesn't lie. Everybody else, yeah. are, just assume everything you're doing in the public's being filmed anyway, which it is because everybody has cell phones. But no, I love yeah. having, having something that I'm pointing back at. That's awesome. So, um, I don't know if you know the answer to this, but I've heard that some, some, um, jurisdictions that the, all the cameras are tied together like if you open the door of your cruiser it turns on every camera within you know two block radius is that like true or you know, uh, unknown uh, unknown for me this time i i will say one okay. thing i know like there's a city real close to me you know within 15 miles very affluent mm-hmm. city i mean lots and lots of money and they have so much technology in their department they have what they're called um, license plate readers throughout the city on public streets. And so if there's a vehicle that's wanted or known found to be in it or something like that, these things automatically register when the cars drive by, and then they notify the units in that vicinity, and then they go make an arrest. And so it's the technology today is just unbelievable. Now you get down to the smaller cities where the budgets are smaller. Yeah, I mean, you almost get down to the Dukes of Hazard. Uh, you know, where you've got yeah. <laughs> Roscoe Pico train out there and, you know, Barney with his one bullet. But um, for the most part, yeah, it's, there's a lot out there. Not, I don't know the exact answer for your question on that as of yet. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's a technology. It's something, you know, one of those things I heard someplace, which makes sense to me because, you know, then you have multiple, multiple views of anything that happens there. So, you know, and if... I, I, to me, it's like if it automatically turns on when you get out of the car, then, like, you can't forget, and that protects you. Yeah, and there's also, I know with the vehicles that we use with the cameras, um, now we do have to manually turn on and off our body cameras, but mm-hmm. it's almost like a cockpit recorder. It'll record even when it's off, especially with the vehicle. So if you miss something on your camera with, your say, your vehicle, and uh, but yeah. you know they did something. You can actually, it's already recorded, so you can go back like a thirty-second yeah. increment or maybe a two-minute increment and find it. Um, so even though yeah. it's not physically being recorded, it's still recorded. If that makes sense. Yeah. Well, it's looping. Yeah. So it's like exactly. recording like an hour and then starting over. And if you stop it, exactly, it saves it. So yeah, exactly. I mean, Go GoPros do that. <laughs> so. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. You know it's it's hard to dispute when you have your video too and you're doing, let's say a sobriety test or some kind of stop and they question, you didn't do this. You, you didn't do that. It's like the video doesn't lie. You know, it just kills yeah. most of the prosecutor or the defense attorneys. You know, they, I think to yeah. some degree they hate the cameras because it makes it much more difficult for them to be successful in their, at their defending. Well, so, but Hey, too bad. Know, too bad. <laughs> yeah. That's, you know, they say the camera doesn't lie, but then, I can show you my YouTube videos of me making my birds into a shotgun. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I will say this when I get back there. Sometimes when I'm doing my reports, I'm back in this little room that's locked within a room within a room, and I'm like, "Am I old enough to be back here?" You know, there's drugs here. I'm categorizing. Am I allowed to touch that? I still feels very surreal. You know, I'm like, I don't mm. think I'm mature enough for this, but <laughs> it's just weird. Yeah. <laughs> what is? Well, I mean, that is kind of weird because. I mean, theoretically, 
nobody, you know, you haven't been around a lot of drugs in your life. But so, I mean, what's it like when you, you know, see a big, you know, yeah, brick of cocaine or a big brick of hundred dollar bills? I mean, it's got to be. Yeah, I mean, it's just you know, money. weird, right? Yeah, I mean, it is. I mean, it's just you know, everything when I touch someone, now I glove up or when I'm going through anything like that. Especially when you're doing body searches or if you're going through a vehicle or if you come across especially a liquid. Always got to be very, very careful. There's a lot of stuff. You know, we get, for instance, we'll get a notification. I think not too long ago in the area, people were putting flyers on patrol vehicles or personal vehicles of police officers, and it's laced with a, a drug. And that drug, when it gets into your system, eventually kills you. And so, it's that type of stuff where you know you get people that just hate people, and and so you just got to be cautious about what you do. You know, even in your off time, and so. Uh, you know, I've always been that way. I've been wired that way. I'm always looking, you know, in all directions. Basically, isn't what do they say? Head on a swivel. But yeah, it's so when you're going through the drugs and you're doing all that stuff, you got to be careful not to smell stuff, not to open stuff. Not, you know, certain things. You just got to be smart because a lot of that stuff can really yeah. hurt you or kill you. So, um, but yeah, it's weird. And the one thing I will say more than anything else, I, I just amazed at how people are like the states are passing like Colorado and California with the marijuana laws. That stuff smells yeah. so freaking bad. Whenever you make a bust and you have like THC oil, which is the component of marijuana, or you're bringing that stuff yeah. in, I mean, your freaking clothes smell, the department smells. I mean, some of the stuff is good variety, some of it's a really poor variety, and so the poor stuff even smells worse. I'm just like, oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, I could do without the smell. Yeah. Um, Okay, I'm almost. Well, we're almost done. <laughs> That's okay. With cop talk. That's okay. Um, I can't fix any tickets, so just gonna let you know that. Okay, well, that was gonna be my next question, but this will be. We'll do, ask this first. How do? How do? You, how does some? How does somebody convince you not to give them a ticket? Funny <laughs> you say that. I had one just the other day. He, he looked at me and goes, "Please, uh, please." I was like, sorry, dude, you're getting a ticket. It's cold outside. <laughs> I had to get out of my car. <laughs> you're getting a ticket. Yeah. No, they, you know, honestly, I, I judge the people. I read them. You know, I'm not under any constraints yeah. by the department, despite what people say. Oh, you have to give them. I have my own discretion. And so I've been a pretty good judge of character reading people. And, and I honestly can tell when people, if they're pulling my leg, or if it's really something here. Do I really want to make a bad day worse? Was it? What was the offense? Was it? Is it really worth giving, or can I really change your behavior by giving them a warning? And most of the time, I prefer to give a warning. Yeah. Um, but some people, you know, need a little extra attention. Yeah. You know, I'll just leave it at that. So I don't. Go, yeah. I don't go out and pick on anybody. If, if I'm able to give them a warning, then I'm just you know doing my job and changing behavior. Hopefully that way. Yeah. Um, okay. So you're off duty. You're going to the movie, and you uh, walk by a car, and it's just, you know, you you know you can just smell all the, the pot in it. Yeah. What do you do? <laughs> I'm not getting involved in that. I'm off duty. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, I, I, that's what I'm curious. I mean, no, or do you, no, like, no, call the station and say, hey, or it's yeah, not, I mean, it's I, just not that. You know, I guess it depends on what I saw. If it's, you know, if it's, yeah, I, I would definitely make a call, especially if there was something going on. If somebody's life was in danger, I'm getting involved. Yeah, you know, it doesn't matter. But you know, I'm under if under yeah. Texas statute. I mean, you know, there's a lot of things I have to do, even though if I'm off duty, which I would not mind doing yeah. in a heartbeat. You know, but yeah, um, I mean, if there's something fishy going on, yeah, I might call in. You know, but I haven't, I haven't yeah. had that yet, so I, it's hard for me really to answer to say what I would do in that situation. I only know what I think I would do. <laughs> so, yeah. So it all comes down to paperwork. Um, okay, I I lied. I have one more question. Yeah, but yeah. You, but you knew I was going to say that. That's okay. Um, what should you – and I think I might know the answer to this too. What would you rather deal with, somebody smoking pot or a drunk? Ooh, I don't know. I mean – both can be angry and abusive, you know, and both can be hotheads. But I think in general, someone who's still stoned, <laughs> it's a much easier yeah. arrest to make. <laughs> so, <Yeah>. um, <laughs> you know, someone who's drinking, it, it could be rather comical. But that one yeah. really bugs me even more because I always think about my kids out in the road driving. And so yeah. getting them off the road is, it puts a big smile on my face. 
Um, just because, yeah. you know, that's the one, one arrest that you make that you can honestly say, man, I probably saved somebody's life tonight, whether it's that person yeah. I arrested or somebody else, yeah. you know? And so, yeah, there's, I have no problem doing that because I just, I put my own family in that position and go, yeah, not a problem. You're going to jail. So, yeah. Um, but as far yeah, I've had some funny arrests already though with marijuana. So I keep thinking, you know, and that guy kind of comes off as high. He's going to be really bummed when he's sitting in jail about midnight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Anyway, yeah. I'm sure you have one more question. Yeah. Um. No, we're done with cop talk. Okay. Cool. I think. All right. I'll be thinking something. That's but okay. I I I re, I. Uh, Reserve the right for cross examination. Okay, no problem. Oh, okay. So, yeah, so I did. Have Have you had to go to court yet? Oh, not yet. Usually, that stuff takes okay. about two years. I mean, the court systems are so slow. <laughs> but when you make an arrest, yeah. time it circles around two to three years on average. So, yeah. um, so do you have to like keep like really good notes? Yeah. Then? So you've you got to write. You got to be really skilled at your, your writing your notes, and you have to write your reports really well because. If they get the video suppressed, then you only have your notes. If they suppress your notes, then you only have your video. So you just need to go through and you actually meet with the prosecutors and the attorneys before they tell you what questions they're going to ask. And then you go back and review everything the day before you go to court. So you have a handle on it, and especially all the policies policies and procedures that surround that arrest. Um, so you just don't want to be caught with your pants down. And so you, you have time to prepare, you know, when you go into court. So, um, but yeah, not yet. And uh, actually that'll be fun for me. I like that kind of stuff. Yeah. But, and then that's kind of stuff that like you learn in the Academy is right. Uh, You know, the Academy, I will say the Academy prepares you for the basics, but really I Mm -hmm. honestly think your learning begins when you're in field training. That's where I'm at right now. Like 17 to 20 weeks when you're with a different officer every four weeks and you're continually being tested daily and weekly and monthly and, you know, and you're honing in all your skills. And even after you go through all that, you only still know about 80%, they said, because there's situations that happen, you know, almost every day that are like, oh, that's never happened before. So you got to be able to think quickly on your feet. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, um, yeah. I love the challenge. I really do. It's, it's something different every day. Yeah, it sounds like you do. I'm glad. Cool. Um, um All right. How the hell did you become an officer? No, I already asked you that, didn't I? <laughs> I was in the wrong line. <laughs> yeah. Um, what was the beginning of your genesis to become an adventure racer? Oh, my gosh. I, I which I is probably even worse than a cop. Yeah, it is. So, you know, from my past, back when I was younger, I, I competed in professional cycling back when I was, Youth. So about the time I was 16, 17 years of age, I was changing over to a Category 1, Category 2, and started doing pro races. And that was about the time I was graduating high school. And at that time, yeah. of course, like most people who were into cycling, and you can attest to this, I, I had really big dreams of beating the Tour de France. And, um, uh, you know, and, and whenever I went to these races when I was younger, um, you know, there was a handful of guys that always were in the same races. One of them was Lance Armstrong. Um, yeah. And I say that to say that not to say I'm nothing like him or anything like him. Um, but it was another guy named Corbin Mills and Kevin Tatan. And I still can remember this because whenever I showed up those races, and if any of those guys were there or if all three were there, I knew I would be the best, at least I could get fourth place because these guys were phenomenal. Mm. And, and I look at Lance in particular since a lot of people, you know, he has so much publicity with happened with the tour and all the blood doping and everything before he got well involved in that because he lived in the area where I live. He's out here in Plano, Texas. I mean, the guy is a phenomenal athlete long before he ever got involved, especially when he did triathletes. So I went down the road and I realized, you know, after a while, I wasn't ever going to be the top guy. I wasn't gonna, I'd be more of a domestique, you know, more of a support crew. And so I, I had fun and I traveled the country in various places and, and, and I realized, you know, okay, I need to start making a living. And, and so if I wasn't going to go into, you know, law enforcement this time, I wanted to go into the military as an officer and um, possibly, you know, still graduate college and then go into law enforcement. And so that was stage one. So 
that was my, you know, I've always had a competitive nature early in life. And, and so that was kind of the end of my cycling career. Then life kind of went, and it, it was really weird. So I went into this long, dry spell of probably, I would say, 20 years at least. And, uh, you know, I woke up one day, and I was in my early 40s, and I was a little bit overweight and, you know, not so in shape. And, and I was like, what happened? And I miss this. Why is it taking so long, right? And so I started getting back into shape, and you know, before I knew it, I had that competitive drive again. And and so I started with simple things. I did just some simple 5K races, and and then I started doing some mud races, as people would call them. And then eventually, I did the Spartan Circuit, and I entered in the, the pro the pro circuit, and did that for two years, and really enjoyed it. I traveled the country, just meeting a lot of the same people, making great friends, and you know, it was always an individual sport. You know, it was always about me, myself, and I. And I still was in that realm until I actually upped at that point and did up to my first 24-hour race. And then I did what they call and I did that for two or three years in a row, that particular race. And um, and then I did something called the Spartan Death Race, which, dang, it almost killed me. <laughs> so it took me three years to actually finish the race. And this is how this ties into um, adventure racing, because I find myself each race wanting more pushing the limits, pushing the envelopes, trying to find out what it's going to take to break me. What, what is truly going to break me? Is it going to be mentally? Is it physically? Is it both? And for this death race, like I said, it took me three years. The first year I attempted it, I brought my family up there, you know, a wife and the kids, and made it a, a family vacation for them, not so much for me. And I was up in Vermont. And this race was designed to make you quit. What they do is they start the race, and it doesn't really have a designated start time. It just kind of starts. And they whittle the field down to about 10% of the people. Once they get down to 10% of the people, then they call the race. And usually that's about close to 70 continuous hours without sleep, with physical and mental abuse like you wouldn't believe. And um, the race is different for everybody because they find your weak spot and they watch people. They examine them during certain things and find out what makes them tick. And then they find out what they don't like and they just go to town on them. And so for the first year for me, um, I, I I broke mentally, I think, on hour 42. Just didn't have it enough, in, you know, in it. And so the next year, I'm really prepared for that one. And then I broke physically because I got severely dehydrated. and I was cramping really bad. But, you know, over those first two races, I told them I was going to come back and finish it. And I jumped into the four-person team death race. And um, so I had three other partners, one female, very much like adventure racing and mm-hmm. two other males. And um, they told me, so you need to come back. You know, you've earned our, your, our respect because I still, despite all the abuse that I took and the two failures that I had, that's when I learned the most about myself is during those races. My, my biggest failure was my busy, busy, biggest success because I learned what it was inside of me that I needed to better, not just physically, but emotionally, spiritually, you name it. And, and I honed in on those things and really focused on those things. And then I entered my four-person team, and we suffered together like I've never suffered before. And just when one person would want to quit, I love the camaraderie because then the other three would build that person up. And at some point, you're Mm -hmm. always that person who wants to quit, or you're always that person that's having difficult, and they take the load. And that was my first true experience with the team sport. Now, I had it in cycling, professionally even though it was more it's still somewhat of an individual sport but this was different and you've got brothers and sisters and this is what most people don't get especially as you roll into adventure racing this particular race it was about putting the others before you to to accomplish the team goal and when i when I graduate when i when i finally finished we got it, your trip is just a, it's a skull it's a skeleton head and most of the times, you know, you got all the fanfare, the TV and all that stuff. This one ended on top of a mountain, just like midday. Didn't even know it was ending. And it was just my teammates and the directors, and that was it. And then we had to hike off the mountain. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> and it was, that meant more to me than anything else because I made some really amazing friends during that process, and I would trade it for the world. And so I was like, okay, I'm not going to do that race anymore because – I don't want to hurt that way. <laughs> I can't. <Yeah. laughs> and so I started looking at adventure racing. And, of course, I came in to um, 
uh, some really great friends. I was starting to kind of do my research and look into it. And I was like, oh, this, what's this race? This Prime Quest. This looks pretty cool. Oh, my gosh. Look at the entry fee on that. Holy crap. This has got to be fun. <laughs> and then I started looking at what all involved. I was like, I don't know any of this, but this stuff excites me. And so um, I came into contact with a guy named J.D. Eccleson. Um, I, I think I'm saying that. No, that's not Eccleson. It's J.D. Uh, you know him. I can't even say his last name. You can, yeah, you can't say it either. So, anyway, not without looking at it. But why do people? Out <laughs> but there, it doesn't are, matter because everybody knows yeah. JD. All you got to do is say JD. Yeah, JD. <laughs> and so we talked. Yeah, there's and, like an extra syllable in there. Exactly. So, and then Alberto was my other teammate, and he's the one that really spent time helping me learn stuff. I actually made some trips out to California, and he helped me with mountain biking. And we worked on uh, repelling with my other teammate, Sherry Hines. Um, we went to Utah and got my certification and did a lot of training on that. Did my kayaking also with Alberto. You know, like, all the stuff you get to see people do on TV, like, man, that's freaking awesome. And here I am doing it and going, oh, my gosh, I could die every which way into the sun. I better not tell my wife. But, yeah, it was so much fun, right? And But there's a lot of training that goes into it. You know, I just don't want to go out and be responsible and do something stupid. But the one thing that scares me yeah. more than anything else, and I hate it, is is that those the repelling is fun, but the, the ascending on the fixed lines. I mean, that's all that stuff is just that's stressful to me, man. I need like a Xanax or a Valium before we go do that stuff. Yeah. And I think when I was in Gaza and we were talking and we were like in day three or four, they were saying we we're going to have to go in some underground underground caves. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. yeah, that ain't happening. Yeah. <laughs> No, I'm, 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 I hear you there. Yeah. And, the, and that was like real caving too. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. if that happens, you, we need to talk to the race directors because uh senior quiet here is probably going to have a meltdown. So, <laughs> yeah. But, um, so we've made our team. Then I competed in Prime Quest and that was the most yeah. amazing, uh, success that I've ever experienced as well. And as soon as you finish, you know, first you can't wait for it to end because it hurts. But when you finish, you're like, when's the next one? And I was like, two things yeah. happen. One, I was like, man, I could do this all the time. But two, I don't have the finances or the time to be able to do that, to get away from my family that long to make it work. So the happy medium in the family now is I get to choose one event per year um, you know, that I would like to do. Because as you know, with adventure racing, it takes a lot of time and preparation. And uh, yeah. it's you, know, you got a lot of people counting on you. And uh, wow, what a sport! And I really, really hope that that makes a bigger comeback. I hope it really picks back up. I saw, kind of just in the short time that I've been in it, I've seen it go up and down, up and down. And I always wonder where it's going to end up. And um, maybe with the revival of uh, Equal Quest, or what's the one that's coming up? Um, Eco Challenge. Eco Challenge, yeah. thank you. Yeah, I remember watching that, yeah. you know, when I was younger and going, that is really cool. So I hope that lights a fire and, and, and influences a lot of people to get into the sport. You know, one of the things I noticed when I was down in New Zealand, it's it's in their curriculum in their schools. I mean, how cool is that mm-hmm. where they actually have mini expedition races, you know, out there for their use, not only keeping them in shape, but teaching them some great skills, not just to take, you know, out in the course and in life. And that's one of the things I like to tell people is, like, you take away so much things from these races. The few that I've done is I'll take those things that I really struggle with and I apply those to make me a better person, you know, better father, husband, businessman, now policeman. You know, all the things that I go through in those, I apply in day-to-day life. And, you know, it's just about perspective and what you think you can get out of it. And plus you get to go places where most people in the world have never gone or get to see places most people will never get to just because of the location. And that's pretty cool. I mean, this may sound pretty stupid, but I remember one time we were, I, I don't know what, after a really long night during Primal Quest, we were on some trail. We came across, we sat down to have something to drink, take a short break, and we noticed this old wagon wheel that was kind of covered up in the dirt. It was like the rim that went around the wheel. We're thinking, you know, this is on mm. such and such trail. This is probably from the original you know, settlers that traveled to California from the east, you know, like, how cool is this? And of course, they don't know for certain, but more than likely it was. So it's that kind of stuff, yeah. you know, little small things like that you take away going, wow, this is history out here. Other people, you know, went through and died going through this part of the country. How cool is that to be able to, to get a glimpse of what they, what they saw? You know, but that's just a small 
thing of many. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I'm kind well, of, and, and that is. Sometimes it's the race is just a series of really small, really cool things. Yeah, you know, it, it is. And you get, go for it. Exactly. Exactly. So I'm just kind of rambling. So what else you got for me? <laughs> um, so I'm going to go back to my. So this is kind of interesting because, like, so you've done three expedition races, right? Uh, two. We were generally set up to do Primal Quest, uh, the last Primal Quest that, not the one yeah. that just happened, but the one the year before that didn't make. And yeah. that one, no. yeah, that one, didn't go ahead. Well, didn't you, you did Primal Quest? And then God Zone. God Zone and, and, oh, you didn't go to Australia, did you? No, I didn't go to That's that right. one. I was invited to go there. I, That's I right. couldn't go to the time it wasn't right, so I couldn't make it. I was like, yeah. oh, man, okay. I wish I would have gone to Australia. Yeah, well... But I've had two, two really good ones. You weren't, you were, yeah, you weren't there the night that uh, the whole team got as drunk. <laughs> that I haven't seen people that drunk since high school. I, I, I heard about <laughs> it the very next day, and this is like they're getting ready to start the race. I'm like, yeah, that's not your best way to go. <laughs> and I think, yeah. well, they and, actually and, had a day. They I recovered. Think, and I won't say here Swallowed a beer cup. So. <laughs> Yeah, so um, it, I was sleeping like on the other side of the room, and t- every fifteen minutes, Tosh would come over and shake me, and I'm like, "You doing okay, Randy?" <laughs> so. well, the stories I heard, I was like, "Oh my gosh!" It, it was just like college, man, high school. I'm like, what are they doing yeah. there? They racing or just in a friend house? <laughs> yeah, uh, but you know, the thing is, that's kind of what made that race so cool is is they had that opening prologue. Yeah, and then they had a day, yep. and and then the race started. So you could actually party, you know, with the Kiwis and the Australians. So yeah, absolutely brilliant, as far as I'm concerned. Um, <laughs> no, so okay, so that's a long way. So in two really, I mean, iconic adventure races, Primal Quest and God Zones. Um, I got to ask my cliche: What was your best and worst? You know, six hours of those two races. Best and worst six hours. Well, let's see. Primal Quest, I would probably say my worst six hours were day one going into the evening. Um, even though I was really extremely one of the mistakes I made was we ran down that mountain and it was only like five miles long and then we got in the paddle paddled against the wind, you know, to the other side of that lake. That part, because it was so hot and because the boats were so well, I don't know how to say this politically correct, but they sucked. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, it's that required yeah, a kayaking and adventure race. Yeah. <laughs> it goes it was, without it saying. It was like paddling for us because our kayak, you know, had a lot of water it was taken in and, you know, it was just crap. And it was like paddling a bathtub. I exerted so much energy and wasn't able to drink that I, as much as I needed to drink just to, you know, I couldn't move around much. But I, I think a little bit of dehydration and altitude sickness got me yeah. that first night and, and and we had to actually stop for a couple of hours, which really uh, it broke my heart because I was so freaking sick. But eventually I got through that. And, um, and um, in fact, that's where you saw me the next morning. And, um, and once I regrouped, refueled and stuff, I was good to go after that. It was just a big mistake of not getting the fluids in, you know, that I needed and, yeah. and the combination of exertion and altitude. Uh, yeah, it wasn't a fun. Yeah. It wasn't a fun six to eight hours, but you know, hey. And then I developed an upper respiratory during that race too, and <laughs> so I was yeah. coughing the whole time. And then we were laying in the tent weekend. We got two hours of sleep, and I'd be in there coughing. They'd be yelling at me, "We need to sleep." I'm like, I can't help it. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm sure they just hated me for that, but oh my gosh, that sucks. Yeah. And then the best, um, you know, there was there's. So many things that were just amazing. I think one in particular is we made a, we did one of the things I think a few teams did. We actually cut across a valley thinking we were going to save time. And I'm not sure how that panned out in the long run, but we came across this really uber cool granite valley that I'm not sure anybody's ever been in. It was just wall to wall granite stone and boulders. And we were walking like just on these rocks for hours. And it was just, so epic. The scenery was so amazing. And night fell, and we were just trying to get out of this funnel before it got dark because we knew it was going to get kind of crazy. And, and um, we made this really 
big climb, not knowing what we were climbing, but JD's really smart at this stuff. And, you know, I was getting a little nervous and scared at times. And so he's encouraging, encouraging us all to go up this and we're working through it. And I was like, okay, man, well, we can't go back down now. And we eventually finished that climb after about an hour, hour and a half. We got to the top and we set up our camp, you know, because it was almost done. And we woke up and I looked at what we climbed. I was like, oh my gosh, that was, we could have freaking died. That was stupid. So I'm glad it was at night. No regrets. It was just a really unique time. God zone. Um, one, I think, uh, two things, um, good and bad. The bad, of course, is when I uh, was, we were crevassing going across a rock face. It wasn't really high off the ground, but a piece of rock fell off. I mean, it just chipped away, and I landed, and the rock landed on my leg. It really jacked it up pretty good, ended up with a hairline fracture. Mm-hmm. And, um, that really kind of set the tone for the remainder of the race, and I think that was on day two or three. But at the top of that night, um, we got into a total whiteout, and it was so freaking windy. I mean, I really thought we were on, like, another planet, and we weren't navigating. We were there with two other teams. Nobody could find the checkpoint. We were, it was just crazy, crazy windy. And we were right at the top, so you go down straight down one side or straight down the other and we're like, okay, we've got to get out of this. We're going to freeze to death. We, we've got to hunker down. And so we couldn't put the tent up because it was too windy. We tried. And so everybody just picked a spot. I crawled into some rocks that were on a full ledge, pulled out my emergency blanket, my back, my, my bivy there, and put it all together and crawled in it. The only thing I had sticking out of it was like an eyeball. And it was just howling. And you're like, man, we're going to die here. They're going to find our bodies the next day. It was cold. <laughs> but I, I remember this one moment where it just got quiet long enough and the clouds cleared just for a few moments and I saw the stars and it was just the most amazing thing, you know, in the middle of a storm, literally it was, uh, it was just pretty cool. And then shortly after that, we got up and started humping out of the fog and still were lost for a while. And <laughs> that was kind of a drag because that really just jacked up our race, but Hey, it happens. And, during our descent. You weren't the only one. Yeah, yeah, during so. our descent, we ended up back at the previous checkpoint, but not knowing where we were, we were, you know, going back and forth across this river. And, you know, the terrain looks so beautiful out there, but it's also, I mean, you're walking along these high grass and you'll step in this hole, it's got these big rocks, and you're like, man, this is so unstable out here, but yet it's so beautiful. So, yeah, it was a, that was a crazy, crazy night. That was probably when things, everything kind of went bad in that 24-hour period. I think right before I got hurt, I think one of the teammates, I think it was Team Bones, was their teammate. He fell down the, the, oh, yeah. the outside yeah. there, and they thought he died. And I think he ended up with a broken shoulder or an arm. And so I feel very grateful to be able to walk away from what I did because the only thing I could think of, there was a, um, uh, a V-shaped rock that was, uh, I fell into it. So if you think of a sandwich, if you take a piece of bread and fold it and put a hot dog in it, I was the hot dog yeah. and I landed in that bread. So when that rock came down on top of me, it just kind of shattered it mostly around me because the rock was above me, but part of it caught my leg too. So, uh, but yeah, I was very grateful that, because that rock up there, as, as most people know, I mean, it lasts, I mean, it just trashed a couple pair of shoes and it just sliced through it. Yeah. Like peanut butter, same thing with all my gloves. I mean, it's like, it was like walking on razor blades out there. It was crazy. I've never seen anything like that before. Yeah, yeah, pretty pretty amazing um, first leg of that race. So yeah, wow, yeah. Was, yeah, pretty cool. I will say. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so you're kind of not adventure racing now. Is that kind of because you got a real job. <laughs> I don't have my own business, so I can't set my own hours now. But yeah. <laughs> so, I there's two things. So I'd like to do a I'm looking at three you know, again, I'm I've got my rules for my wife and we've come to a happy yeah. agreement to maintain a happy home and a marriage is one major sporting event. So I'm gonna go ahead and what I'm doing for two thousand nineteen, of course you know, I was trying to do in two thousand eighteen yeah. but the police academy got in the way is I'm gonna be doing the fire and ice ultra in Iceland and that is an individual race but that's something that I really want to do just because of the variation it's actually six days of racing I think it's about 160 miles it's not horribly horribly long but it's got everything from mountains to glaciers to volcanic fields to I mean you name it 
Um, it's got yeah. pretty much every type of terrain in, in Iceland. What a way to do a race that is going to be extremely challenging, um, but mm-hmm. also get to see a part of the world that most people don't get to see because they only issue so many permits a year for that part of the country. So most people don't even get to go out in that environment. I mean, it's, some of the scenery that I've seen is yeah. like looking on the surface of the moon. Um, other places are lush with vegetation. So, um, and, you know, I just, I'm excited about that prospect. I really would have high hopes to finish in the top 15 out of the hundred. Um, just because I think carrying the pack, cause you have to carry all your gear, all your food. Um, and it's kind of nice it's, to me. It's like the height. I actually get to sleep at night for four or five, six hours, you know, in between stages. So yeah. that, to me, that's like luxury. I just, I'm excited about that prospect to be able to run. And then I think, you know, training as a police officer now is perfect because I'm already walking around 20 pounds of gear on all day long. So it's about 10 pounds on top of that. So, you know, every, what, I only have to carry four liters of water. That's only four and a half pounds uh, on top of all my gear. So, yeah, I'm stoked. You know, I'm pretty excited about that. But I think in 2020, I'll do one or two races, either Moab as an individual, or I'd like to do another adventure race. And, and I'm hoping what the Eco Challenge does is, is maybe there'll be some new opportunities. And, and I would love to have a, to be reunited with my current you know team that we have. I was invited to go down to Florida, but again, the police stuff is just kind of getting in the way. So <laughs> I've yeah. got to be, I've got to be very selective now. So unfortunately, I would, again, I could, I could do this full time if I could actually make money at it. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> you, you know how to become a millionaire at venture racing, right? Yeah, you, you, but, you start as a billionaire. Isn't <laughs> <laughs> that the truth? But you know, as expensive yeah. as all the equipment is, and thank goodness there's sponsors out there to help with a lot of those costs, it's still pretty pricey. But I've got all these cool gadgets now, so <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's so. pretty fun. I love my toys. Yeah, so I I, I hear you. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> So, but what else? So, is, what else? Well, is, cool. So I suppose you got to work tomorrow. Yeah, I've actually. I'm gonna. My mom's a little bit under the weather. She's been in the hospital for the past week, so I'm actually gonna mm-hmm. be headed up there to to check on her. It's been a rough Christmas break for her. She had some bronchitis, and so I've been spending a lot of time in the hospital over the past week. So I'm kind of trying to get that, and then mm-hmm. I'll be back at work before too long. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, you know, it's it's, it's good. I'm, yeah, I'm just very excited about what's going on in life right now. And all the other you guys out there listening, I'm only 50, and I'm still kicking strong. You know, of course I have yeah. issues like everybody else, I'm always nursing one injury or another. You know, but hey, it's okay. I'm still moving. Yeah. So. All right. So, um, so on the 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 last note here, I will say is I I was looking at schedules and and. I'm with you if you're going to Iceland, no matter what. So. All right, man. Well, you know, I just I, as I found out last year, I've got to get approval from the Icelandic yeah. people. <laughs> I don't, I don't know what you call yeah. them to be able to fly a drone. Icelanders. Icelanders. We, yeah. We've got to get approval from their council or something to fly drones out there in that part of the country. So. Yeah. Well, even without that, they got some other. So, if there's any trees. So, oh, I, okay, quick story. I don't think we'll see a tree out there, dude. Yeah, something. <laughs> um, so, so I I did this Kickstarter like two years ago. And basically it's you can set up a line, a, th- a 300, 300-meter yeah, line, and um, it's got a, like a pulley system. So you can sort of, you know, do running shots like that. So yep. they have an alternative too. But, oh, I think yeah, you're t- saying. Yeah, 22 I got you. Yeah. So we're going it took back. 22 months for him to get it <laughs> like made the, and shipped. It's going to be like the Stone Age <laughs> catapult where they throw the big rocks. Uh, oh, okay. well, here, you know what? Now that you say that, so a couple years ago I did this Kickstarter. And, and it's, you remember you remember jarts, lawn jarts? Oh, yeah. That yeah. you'd throw in the air. So it's basically this big foam lawn jart that you put a GoPro in and throw. <laughs> oh my god! I mean, it was like nineteen dollars, right? And I've never used it, but 
But Randy, were you around at that checkpoint on the first day at Primal Quest where that guy crashed the drone? Do you remember that? Were you there? Yes. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how expensive that guy from was it? Uh, what network was he from? Um, um, outside outside TV. Television. Yeah. All of a sudden, you heard that thing yep. rev up, and then boom, it crashes right behind everybody. Yeah. Yeah, man, that's like a five thousand dollar drone, and they're like, "Well, one, it's not theirs. You know, they just you know rent the equipment, but yeah, so they just use the other ones. Like we're under attack. What? Yeah. So the rule is, if you fly a drone, if you haven't lost one, you're going to. So yeah, it's a matter of you know with anything. So I mean, it's a tool. You know, I've I came really close to losing losing it in Belize. It it just grazed a tree over the river Um, not enough to crash it but i think i did in um new england too so anyway and the thing is is it it's not it's not losing the drone which sucks it's losing the footage (laughs) well i think in iceland you'll be extremely safe the only thing that you could possibly do to screw it up is if you slide into one of those little vents that's venting all the steam you know where the steam the lava is that would probably be your only problem i i foresee unless it goes over a yeah but that'd be a be a cool shot so. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <never can> get <laughs> it. yeah cool beans well, so. i'm stoked that like that about iceland so um yeah well yeah. we'll we'll keep in touch we'll do so. Absolutely. all right well thanks this was fun Thank Hope you. you didn't mind talking about being a cop. No, no, I kind of thought so, that would be. So, no, I appreciate it, and uh, enjoy the rest yeah. of your evening. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Yeah. All right. All right. Thanks. We'll talk to you later. Take care, Randy. Bye-bye. All right. Bye. Oh,